Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, it's time for the Dating and Relationship Show. Thanks for tuning in each and every week. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Today, we are talking about narcissism and relationships. Whether you are currently in a relationship with one, married to one, and want to get out of the relationship, growing up with narcissistic parents, or perhaps you are a narcissist yourself and you don't even know it yet. We are covering it all. Joining me in studio today is returning guest family lawyer Leanne Townsend. Hi there. Hi. And psychotherapist Don Binkowski. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. So we're going to start off with how can we identify a narcissist? Like what sort of traits do they possess? Because I think a lot of people are confused about what a narcissist is. Want to start with you, Don? Sure, I'd love to. There's a certain pattern of behavior that shows up. Those traits being there is a need to have their needs and wants met constantly. There is an unwillingness or an inability to take responsibility for themselves when they make a mistake. So there is a need to turn things around and make the other person responsible if they're addressing some kind of issue. There is a lack of empathy, which also means a lack of ability to uh, connect in deep emotions. Things are more superficial. There also is a very strong need to see themselves reflected back a certain way as important as the expert. And that's how they rely on uh, sustaining their sense of self is by external validation by others. Leanne? I think, too, they draw you in because often narcissists are very charming, um, often very successful, you know, in their careers. And so it's... And giving, right? Well, initially. Initially, um, they're giving. Yeah, yeah. they want want you. And so they charm you. They move very quickly. They flatter you. You know, you're the most wonderful person they've ever met in their lives. You complete them. All these these words just flow. Yeah, and you're thinking, wow, this is too good to be true. He's here. He has arrived. The prince. Exactly. Don? The fairy tale uh, romance story that we're all fed fits into this perfectly. Because there is a lack of boundaries with narcissists, they're quick to rush to intimacy. And it feeds that whole fairy tale of, oh my God, from the moment he laid eyes on me, my heart fluttered. Mm -hmm. And the things that Leanne was just talking about, I call emotional hooks. They throw out, nobody has ever ever made me feel this way. I can't, I've never opened up to anybody. And these are things that feed our soul and make us believe that this is the real deal. Yeah. Now, is there a difference between a narcissistic personality disorder and being a narcissist? Because I think a lot of us have some sort, some narcissistic personality traits. Like, how do you know if you are definitely a narcissist? Because I was reading up on it, you know, like I was doing some research and stuff. And I'm thinking, Am I a narcissist? Because (laughs) I mean, and then I'm like, no, I can't be because I'm very empathetic. So how do we know if we're a narcissist or not? So first off, if you're somebody that is diagnosable as having narcissistic personality disorder, you are never going to ask that question. Okay. So I'm not a narcissist. Yay! (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And to your point, we all have narcissistic wounds that we incurred in childhood. Nobody has all of their emotional developmental needs met in childhood that interfere with our ability to have healthy narcissism. Um, But once it hits a certain point and the child does not 
get enough of their emotional developmental needs met, it interferes with their development of an intact enough sense of self. And once that happens, then that's when it starts to cross over into what might be a diagnosable um, personality disorder. Okay, and so how does one become a narcissist? I believe a lot of it has to do with our upbringing and how we, we were treated as a child, correct? Yes, it, it, um, if we don't get enough of what we need, children need a certain amount of things, uh, be reflected back as lovable solely for existing, not for existing a certain way, have a safe emotional environment to grow up in, um, respect in the differentiation, the differentness from our parents. How about parents favoring other siblings or whatever you do is just never good enough? So you're always looking for validation, trying to prove yourself. Absolutely, that can happen. There, what can happen in narcissistic families when there's a narcissistic parent is one child gets deemed the golden child and the other gets deemed the impoverished child. And it actually is a projection of the narcissist's own fears on the impoverished child and their grandiose thoughts in order to support themselves onto the golden child. And it's a horrible position on both ends. Yeah, I bet. Leanne? Yeah, I was going to say that's really interesting because I know I've, I've certainly seen that happen. And uh, even in my own situation growing up, it was like that. But I've seen it with clients as well. So uh, it's really interesting. Yeah. And, and I had similar, uh, yeah, growing up similarly to that because, you know, I always felt like it was never good enough. Were you, know, you the you, golden child or the impoverished No, I was the one. impoverished child. Oh, I was the golden I, pop, one. So. Yeah, I wasn't the golden child. I was uh, I was definitely not. So I, it was, it was like I just could never really do anything right. So, and that's why when I was reading it, I'm like, oh, does that mean I'm a, a, a narcissist? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, like, so we, we all we all have these wounds that we carry with childhood that we're trying still unconsciously to get met. So, hey, I'm important. Hey, I'm special. And that's quite normal. And there's also a contextual piece to it. If we're in a secure uh, attachment relationship, then these things don't tend to come up. But if, for example, there's some uncertainty in a relationship or in some ambivalence that we're picking up from our partner or the person that we're dating, then that can trigger these narcissistic wounds to come up. Okay, we're going to take a break. What an interesting topic today. I love it. Thank you guys for joining me. We're talking about narcissism and relationships right here on the Dating and Relationship Show. Stay with us. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we're back. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta. Joining me today is family lawyer Leanne Townsend and psychotherapist Don Binkowski. We are talking about narcissism and relationships. And just before the break, we were talking about when you have a narcissistic parent. So I want to know, I want to continue with that conversation. How else does having a narcissistic parent impact a child, Don? It absolutely interferes with the development of a healthy enough sense of self. Sometimes it can lead to that child becoming a narcissist themselves or developing what's called co-narcissism. So they adopt certain traits that they saw their parent doing, and that is the way that they believe they need to be in the world in order to get their needs met. What also happens, and I think probably more commonly, um, is one child at least will become a pleaser. 
That will be their coping mechanism of trying to deal with the narcissistic parent. So they will be focusing on meeting the needs of the parent in the hopes that if they can meet the need of the parent, the parent will be happy and then we'll be able to see the child and give the child what they need. Boy, parents really can mess up children, eh? Leanne, you they must can. see a lot of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, and, in the divorce context, it's huge. And I'm I'm hoping that in about 20 years or so that people will need a license to have children. Like, is <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have to have one to have a pet now, like a dog in Toronto, right. so you know, why not children? I think, yeah, you should go have to go through some, like, assessment before you can have a child because it's just ridiculous. So let's talk about narcissistic abuse now. So... I feel like I was a victim of this. So this is where the person you love has made you feel like you can't do anything right. Uh, They're always expecting you to change something about yourself, which is, is impossible to do because when you change something, the goals change and then it's never good enough. And then you're always changing things to please them, but you're never pleasing them. So this guy that I dated, I mean, if I didn't pump gas the right way, God forbid I put $10 in the tank. Okay, that was like a huge fight. If I didn't dress properly, when I was working from home, he would expect me to come home and see me in a business suit. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm working from home. Like, why do I need to wear a business suit? Like, this was like, these were daily arguments. All the wine that we drank had to be decanted first. And you had to drink it out of a certain glass. God forbid you used like a, just a regular drinking glass. Uh, we would have arguments about what I was wearing to a baby shower, let's say, okay? And this one time I wore two different socks that caused World War Three. So he's like, well, what happens if, you know, there's an emergency and you've got to go to the hospital and the doctors and nurses, they see you have two different socks on, you're going to be so embarrassed. And I'm like, Really? I'm like, if, I, if I'm rushed to the hospital, let, like, let's hope that I, you know, make it out alive. All right. <laughs> uh, he would try to control the affection I would have with my dog or, you know, how to put the cups in the cupboard. It, the, the list goes on and on and on. And I could write a book about this guy. Now, the reason I stayed with him was because I felt like my parents really liked him and I didn't want to disappoint. Again, the pleaser, right? Because I was pleasing, always trying to please my parents. So I wanted to please them. Meanwhile, I didn't know that they hated the guy's guts. So why do people stay in these types of abusive, controlling relationships, Don? Often because they have already have identity as a pleaser. And they developed, our, our beliefs about how we need to be in relationship are formed pretty much before we're five years old. Um, it still can be impacted with, with later events in childhood, but pretty much by, by then. And so if we've grown up, it doesn't have to have a narcissistic parent, but we've grown up believing and knowing that our need, our chance of getting our needs met increases with our ability to meet the needs of our parents, then that um, wires us to be a pleaser. So then what happens is we get into this relationship and there's contradictions. It's so wonderful on one hand, and it's so difficult on the other. Generally, in order to be a pleaser, we've developed a skill to rationalize and justify the behavior of the other, which in effect gags us or or puts a muzzle on us from expressing our emotions. It's a way of saying, well, I really shouldn't be angry because he had a terrible childhood. And I know he really didn't mean it because when I asked him, he said that wasn't right. But everybody can get help. 
Absolutely. Right. But I think victims of any type of abuse, they tend to end up, their self-esteem gets so worn down and they start, they feel so powerless. So part of the reason why victims, again, of any type of, of domestic abuse tend to stay in these bad relationships is because they feel worthless. They feel powerless. They're afraid. They don't know how to leave. And so they just And they're stay depressed. Stuck. And, and they're when depressed. you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. And they're often isolated because the abusers isolated them from, you know, family and friends too. That's absolutely true. And through the course of the relationship, your sense of self is going to be chipped away and chipped away and undermined. And then when you're feeling empty, it's really hard to make a bold move like ending a relationship. Why is this different from other types of abuse or is it? There are other types of, of personality disorders that can present similarly. Like sociopath. The difference with sociopath is a sociopath provokes for pleasure. For sport, because there is no activity in the empathy, compassion, caring centers of the brain, the only way they feel a sense of okayness and power is by making people do things, pressing buttons, getting something, someone angry. So it's intentional manipulation. But don't narcissists do that as well? Narcissists don't do it in awareness. Well, how about when you're in a relationship where? you can't seem to do anything right and they always put the blame on you. Like, it's your fault, you did this, you made me do this. Isn't that a narcissist? That absolutely is, but where that's coming from, the root is different. Where that's coming from is an um, unconscious insecurity touching into shame that there was something wrong with me and that's why I didn't get what I needed in childhood. So I've developed a false self. The false self is supported solely by external validation. I have to be the expert. I can't make a mistake or the entire false self is in danger of collapse. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you can identify it before it's too late on the Dating and Relationship Show. Stay with us. We're talking about narcissism and relationships. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. What an interesting show today. We're talking about narcissism and relationships with family lawyer Leanne Townsend and psychotherapist Don Pinkowski. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. This is a great show. So from a professional opinion, how can you identify narcissism before it's too late? Leanne? It, well, it is a challenge to identify um, versus other types of, of abuse. Where, you know, physical abuse is always like very easy. You, if someone hits you or slaps you, you know that it's wrong and you know you're in an abusive relationship. But with narcissism, it, it is, you know, more challenging to identify. But I think that the the, the symptoms of it that Dawn um, mentioned earlier on are very true. Like this, this person is um, you know, there's a whirlwind courtship. There seems to be a lack of empathy. Um, they always have this need for your admiration and respect and this idea of putting you down. So I think if you're in a relationship and you're seeing those types of signs, you, you know, you should know that this is maybe not a healthy relationship. And they can almost make you think like you're going crazy. Like, am, like you, you always feel like you're you're in the wrong. Like, like, he just said that I said that, but I know I didn't say that. I know I didn't. And he continues to do this and put me down and, and blame me for everything. Yeah, so what, what happens with that is if, if you, it's as though they're fighting for their lives, their sense of self. And so if your sense of self and your sense of okayness in the world is in danger of collapse, you're going to push back really hard. So their ability to twist words and make the other person wrong and responsible usually gets quite fine-tuned. 
And there's also what goes on is called gaslighting. And so, and again, this isn't intentional gaslighting like it, it is with sociopathy or psychopathy, but it's as though, so if you say, hey, when you did X, that really hurt my feelings, the person, the narcissist will then turn around and say, do you really have to say this before we are going to see my parents for dinner or find some way to make you wrong in how you said it? And then the argument gets deflected and you never have to deal with the actual issue. They never have to deal with the actual issue. And you end up, it's way too much of a battle. You just wanted to address this one thing. And next thing you know, you're apologizing for your timing, for how you said it, for the fact that this has been the fifth time you've brought up the same thing in a month. So you're almost walking on eggshells. You're afraid what to say at all times, really. Well, that's one of the signs to to question whether you might be in an unhealthy relationship. When you start to feel like you're walking on eggshells, that definitely is something that that needs a pause to stop and look at what's going on. So that leads me to my next question is, what does a typical relationship with a narcissist look like? It's generally one-sided. And it's wonderful as long as your needs and wants are the same as the narcissist's needs and wants. Then everything's wonderful. The problem is if you want something different, or if you say no, there will be an inability for you to say no to a significant amount of things. Because with narcissism, because of the underlying insecurity and shame, there is a hypersensitivity to rejection. So if somebody wants something different than what you want, even it can be at the higher level of toxic or malignant narcissism, if you want to eat Mexican and they want to eat Japanese, they'll feel that that's somehow a rejection of them and they'll turn around and make you wrong for suggesting something different. Why do they say LA is full of narcissists? Is that just a myth? I don't know. I haven't done a, read any studies about that, but there are more actors there, and there can be um, more actors that that might have narcissistic traits because they're looking for that validation and that that sense of admiration that they never got. And also, there often is the ability to morph into meeting the needs of the other if they deem the other as something beneficial to them, something that will reflect positively on them. So often narcissists want to get up close to people that are important, beautiful people, those kinds of things, in the hopes that it somehow says something about them. Okay, so what should we do if we think that our partner is a narcissist? Couples therapy is is something that I would suggest. How are you going to get the narcissist to couples therapy? <laughs> well, one of the things is, uh, so there's a, there's a spectrum of narcissism. So at the softer end of somebody with narcissistic traits, you know, they might do something and you might say, hold on, wait a, wait a moment, before you make that decision, that impacts me. And I need you to factor in and talk to me about it first. And they'll say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, you're so right. I was just thinking about myself. At the farther end, there is no way that they are going to factor in anybody else. Leanne, do you have anything to add here? Um, I was going to say get a divorce, but <laughs> you know. yeah, we're going to yeah, we're going to get to that <laughs> because I, I mean I I question I mean and I'm not a therapist so I would certainly defer to Don on this but that whether they could even benefit from therapy you know or be open minded to therapy but yeah, Dawn, I guess it depends they where they fall on the spectrum from the softer end of narcissism absolutely I work with narcissistic clients and I th- there's been a number of them that have been able to 
create better, stronger relationships and increase their ability to see their other, see the other. But at the toxic end, no. Absolutely. If, if it is an abusive relationship, I would suggest first you try, or, well, if you think it's a narcissist, first you talk to them. You say, hey, I think we need some help. There's some problems. If there's a strong pushback um, and they're more on the toxic end and they won't open up to any part of how things might be theirs, then I think they got to go see Leanne. Now, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to this show and you think that you might be a narcissist, well, we're going to talk about what you should do or what you can do when we come back after the break. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show. We're talking about narcissism and relationships. We'll be back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We are back. Thanks for tuning in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta of singleinthecity.ca. We're talking about narcissism and relationships with family lawyer Leanne Townsend and psychotherapist Don Binkowski. And uh, I want to talk about awareness now. Now, I would think that most people don't even realize that, that they're a narcissist. And in your opinion, do you find a lot of narcissists recognize themselves as narcissists or it often goes unchecked? It usually is unchecked if they hit a certain uh, degree of narcissistic traits and narcissistic wounds. On the softer end, people may well, they'll come to therapy and say, wow, you know, I recognize that none of my relationships are, are successful and I'm the common denominator in all of them. So I think there must be something going on with me. And... Um, or I'll have sometimes people, I do some work with people who have been charged with a f first time uh, criminal offense. So they have to come see me as part of their Probation charges or, or, or getting the charges dropped. So I'll work with those clients and I have had many experiences where I'll point out to them first how they are devaluing others in order to give themselves a, a, a sense of superiority which feeds their ego. I'll also point out how it is a very inefficient way of supporting self. If they constantly, constantly need external validation or the narcissistic supply, that that really isn't very uh, efficient. And also people can see that. And that goes right to the very core of, oh my God, people can really see how insecure I am. There must be a better way. And I'll work with them relationally with them. So can you, like, what do you feel in your body? Because there often is an unhooking from sensations in the body as a coping mechanism early in childhood. So I'll go right back to the beginning and start to work with increasing their awareness to be able to track what's going on inside, which also then eventually leads to more empowerment of self, which then starts to counter the narcissistic traits. So people might be listening to the show and going, okay, uh, I'm coming to the realization that, hey, I might be a narcissist. So what should these people do, Don? Uh, I think that if at all possible, go see a therapist. And a therapist... Uh, can I help you identify it. Help you identify it, provide a safe space to explore it. Can we cure <laughs> narcissism or is it just something that never goes away and you just need to learn how to manage it properly? So there really aren't any cures for anything in a way. Things are, are, are very contextual and relational. Are you serious? Yes. So we can, uh, we can learn to manage our reactivity and our own old personality functions, habitual patterns of the way that we 
um, interact in certain situations. But there will be a time when we get high-stressed where we default into old patterns of behavior, and that will continue to surface. But usually what happens is we increase our awareness of, oh, my God, what just happened? Oh, I'm back in that old pattern of behavior. Let me stop. Let me retrace. Let me figure out what happened. In working with narcissists, another important part is identifying triggers what their emotional triggers are, which lead to them to go into reactive behavior, and that is the annihilating, devaluing behavior of the other. So with your awareness of it, you then can prepare for and recognize when it starts to happen. And Dawn, from your experience, what are some of these triggers? Feeling rejected, feeling unimportant, feeling that their needs don't matter. All of And again, is, stem from our childhood. Absolutely. Like it, at the far end of the, the scale, the toxic malignant end, it can even be as insignificant or severe as if I'm looking at you, Laura, and then I look over at Leanne. You, if you were a narcissist, would feel rejected by the fact that my attention was no longer on you. It can be that subtle, a change. And then a narcissistic rage and reaction can come up. Well, Leanne, you were in a relationship with a narcissist. Yes. What were some of the triggers there? Um well, again, anytime I disagreed or questioned, um, you know, what he wanted to do or what he thought was right, um, you know, that would trigger his behavior into, a, you know, this all or nothing. You know, he had to really put me down, keep me down. Um, you know, anything that sort of undermined his thought that I had him held him in high esteem and, and gave him the utmost respect would definitely be a trigger. Very interesting. Okay, so if you have identified your partner as a narcissist and they're unwilling to acknowledge it or seek help, and now your relationship has gone down the tubes and you want out, you're like, <laughs> I'm done. Well, Leanne Townsend, family lawyer, is uh, she's here today, thank you, and she's going to give us some tactics to help you divorce a narcissist. Now, we are not condoning divorce here, okay, but sometimes when they've sucked the living shit out of you, it's the only way, right? So, yeah. and you mentioned it before, like just divorce them, okay? So let's talk about that, Leanne. First of all, is it possible to have an amicable divorce with a narcissist? I would like to say yes, just to sound, you know, hopeful and positive, but I think the reality is really no. Um, and the reason for that is, is that narcissists always need to feel like they, they're winning, they've won, they've gotten more. So when you're in a, a, a dynamic where you're, you know, on an adversarial, the, the opposite side of them, no matter what you give them, they're going to want more. So even if you say, you know what, um, I just want to walk away from this, I don't want anything, let me out, they'll still find a way to want something more from you than what you're already giving up. So I, I always say to clients, you have to tell yourself that like, they're not your friend. And you know, in an ideal world, it would be lovely if you could come out of this with an amicable divorce. But to be realistic, it's just not going to happen. And you have to take care of yourself and your own needs as you go through the process. So in other words, they're quite vengeful. Yes. Right? Yes. And they uh, can cost you a load of money. They can. And that's one of the tactics they use is to financially, you know, almost abuse you by running up, you know, oh. like bringing needless motions and taking things, you know, to a higher and higher level in court and battling everything so that you run out of money to pay your lawyer. Recognize the signs before you marry one, people. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show. We'll be right back. We're talking about narcissism and relationships. 
Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I am loving this show today. We're talking about narcissism and relationships. Before the break, we were talking about divorcing a narcissist. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta. In studio, we have psychotherapist Don Binkowski joining us and family lawyer Leanne Townsend. And uh, we're just going to continue with divorcing a narcissist. Leanne, you're giving us some fantastic information. Don, you are amazing. So is it true, Leanne, that narcissists thrive in the adversary serial process of divorce and if so what are some strategies to deal with this uh, yes, it's true because they like to win. And so the adversarial process is a like a forum or a venue where they just thrive. It feeds them. Um, so if you are find yourself divorcing one. Um, so, so they're not afraid of spending a lot of money themselves. Like they just they're, they're like, I'm winning no matter what. Well, no, I mean, no sometimes they are. Sometimes they, they, they are. Um, but often they're so caught up in winning, they'll, you know, potentially even lose sight of that. Um, and because a lot of them are financial financially successful, they can afford it a little more than often the the person on the other side can as well. And what happens when they don't win? I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they're not happy, that's for sure. It's always somebody else's fault, right? It's that, you know, the judge or the courts are biased against, if they're a man, biased against men. You know, they, it's, they always blame well, everyone else. What happens else. when you have a narcissistic client? Well, it, that's a challenge um, because you you, you want to strangle them. Well, you want to strangle them. You can't. You have a hard time controlling them, um, and you know, it, and they make matters more hostile than they need to be. And so, in, in, at the end of the day, as a lawyer, you take your instructions from the client, um, but you have some say in how you're going to conduct yourself. But it is a challenge for sure. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to like your client, right? No, I always say like your lawyer isn't there to be your friend. Like if you want, you just want them to be good, good at what they do. And some people need the handholding more than others. Narcissists, of course, don't need the handholding. They just want someone who's going to go in and win for them. But they do need to be reflected back as as though they're they're strong. They're the wronged one in this. Uh, self-righteousness that goes along with it. So I uh, feel sorry for narcissists. Well, th- it's, 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 that's what they want. Yeah, <laughs> but it also is, is true. Okay, you I do, don't feel sorry for them anymore. <laughs> but n- nobody wants to be a narcissist because it, it really, like we have this vision of them because they have been vilified and for good reason because of the harm that they do. But it's this person sitting back going, how am I going to screw with this person today? It's not like that. There's this tremendous insecurity that surfaces and anything that touches is this deep shame they have a strong need to defend against and so nobody wants to be a narcissist we have this sense of this grandiosity but you can see in the reactivity of certain political figures uh, in the world now as soon as they perceive something as a criticism they have an immediate need to lash out in order to give themselves that temporary hit of okayness and power and it is an exhausting way to live in the world Ad- Adolf Hitler he was a narcissist and Donald Trump is the most you know the modern day one that we're seeing in action you know even today with the US election but yeah. um, but in terms of yeah. strategies Laura like there's a, when you're divorcing one you need to pick your battles because they're going to make everything a battle 
battle because they want to win on everything. So you need to decide. You need to sit down with your lawyer and your team and decide what are the most important things to you in the outcome of this divorce and focus on those. So people should be preparing beforehand. Oh, they definitely should be preparing beforehand. Before the Um, narcissist even knows. Before the yeah, before the narcissist even knows they want a divorce. You you need to maybe save some money, put some money aside. and you need to assemble your team, which will include a lawyer. It should include a therapist or and a coach, perhaps. Um, so that's the emotional side. That's the, the emotional therapist. side for sure. And and the financial side, you need to make sure that you've got documents, um, bank statements, visa statements, uh, tax returns. If you have access to all of those, you need to make copies of them beforehand so that you've got everything because often narcissists will start hiding once they know the divorce process has started and you know part of their controlling personality um, they'll hide things so they'll if you had documents in your house they will now have removed them and put them somewhere you know off-site or they'll have changed addresses with the bank so the bank statements no longer are coming to the home and they'll do things like that so it's, if the more you can amass before they know you want a divorce the better protect you'll have as you go through the so process. So are those some of the strategies as narcissists use to try to win in a divorce um, well, that hiding, we should be aware of? Hiding money would be one for sure. Are there any others? Um, well, just trying to wear you down emotionally and financially um, by fighting on everything and by, and by pushing your buttons because n- narcissists are masters at knowing how to push your buttons so they know if they say or do you know a particular thing you're going to react a certain way and then they're going to get the reaction that they want so you have to be very um, thoughtful in the divorce process to come from a place of thinking rather than feeling and you know always pause when the narcissist you know tries to get that reaction out of you so that you don't react the way they want you to. Don, I see you nodding your head you want to say something? Yeah this is absolutely the same kind of thing I tell to clients who are going through a similar situation why I say don't take the bait so if somebody throws something out absolutely pick your battles I also recommend and Leanne can correct me whether it's a good idea or not is uh, to have everything in writing, putting in an email, so that it's there and it's just the facts. Don't respond to the inflammatory statements. Just ask the question, repeat the answer if there is an answer, or repeat the question if you don't get it. And it's and something else that goes on, unfortunately, is often narcissists will engage in parental alienation. Their oh, need to that. win is, means they need to turn the child against the other parent in order to prop up their sense of self and, and rightness in the situation. Which is completely wrong. I know. And it happens it a lot. And I always advise clients, like, you have to be so careful. If you start seeing signs that that is happening, you need to get mental health professionals involved right away who can, you know, come to court if you're in a court battle and, and address the situation before too much damage is done because narcissists do use the children um, against the other parent and but how, how should we talk to our children about that well, we shouldn't, first of all, I mean, uh, you don't really want to involve your children in the divorce. But if they've so, already involved well, them then, then, you then need they're involved, to, right? You need to counteract, not counteract, not in terms of, of making the children be in the middle and having to pick sides, but that's where you need to get them some sort of representation by having a, a child therapist or a child psychologist involved who can meet with the child on their own and address, speak to their needs so it's not coming from you, the adversarial party in the divorce. We're talking about divorcing a narcissist on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We need to take a break, but we'll be right back.
You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We're back. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta. We're talking about divorcing a narcissist in this segment. We have Leanne Townsend. She is a family lawyer here in Toronto and psychotherapist Don Binkowski. So I want to continue with the conversation about issues surrounding children. What if a narcissist involves the children in the divorce? Okay, so let's continue with that. What what do we do in this situation? Don? So, something that I'll, I'll talk to clients about when this is happening is I'll say absolutely like this is nothing that you want to involve your children in however if the child is bringing it up then you can say something like of course it it has to be age appropriate but you can say yes your other parent is very upset about what's going on and they might say some things to you about me if there's anything that any questions you want to ask me about anything that you've heard I'd be happy to talk to you about it but I'm not going to involve you in what's going on between mommy and daddy because that isn't your place yeah so you you, you're you're modeling healthy boundaries Mm -hmm. I love that I love that Leanne yeah that's so important and again it has to be age appropriate because you know some very young children they're probably not going to understand, unfortunately, um, you know, certain things the way an older child would. So I think, you know, with older children, it's probably easier to have a lot more communication surrounding what the other parent is doing. Um, but the comment that Dawn just mentioned, I mean, a young child would, would, would be able to get the essence of that, I think. So, you know, just understanding that what's going on between mommy and daddy and the reasons why mommy or daddy, depending on who's the, not the narcissist, is, is not addressing it with them but communication is so important Mm -hmm. and I think some parents uh, are just so selfish when it comes to their children and they don't understand the repercussions of of what they're doing no and it's sad I mean I even in divorces that don't involve a narcissist I mean the way people involve their children you know telling them daddy had an affair that's why mommy and daddy are getting a divorce and and just bringing in all sorts of issues that really children do not need to know about and do not need to be a, a part of but again it's people's emotions taking over rather than you know their heads now, divorce is emotionally draining. We all know that. So what are some tips for surviving emotionally through the process? Well, I think, again, you need to assemble a really solid team that you feel comfortable with. So, you know, the lawyer needs to be somebody that you feel comfortable with. And then you need a therapist or a coach and so that you don't, um, involve the children. Your children should not be the person that you're venting to, you know, as you're going through this, you know, very emotionally trying time. So family, friends, you know, the, the, the team that you've assembled, that's all really important. And I think this is also where self-care, um, you know, and self-love come into play. You need to make sure that you are you know, doing things for yourself, for your own, you know, mental, emotional well-being um, to keep you on track so that you don't just get completely worn down and, you know, end up suffering from depression or severe anxiety and, and become debilitated by it all. Meditation. Yes, that's another good one. Yeah. Dawn, I know you want to say something. Uh, yeah, just following on Leanne said that absolutely is important and good self-care and recognizing that we all have a finite amount of energy at any one point. And when we're dealing with something like this, like a, a divorce, uh, a adversarial divorce, that takes a lot of energy just being in that kind of dynamic with somebody. So it's important to recognize you're not going to have the same energy maybe to go work out or not the same energy to, to get those healthy meals done or to engage in some of the self-care. 
and that you don't demonize yourself for that because that's taking whatever extra energy you might have available to help yourself and throwing it against the wall by berating and belittling yourself. And are there specific ways you need to heal after ending a relationship with a narcissist? You know, again, those things of self-care and self-love come into play. And ba- boundaries to me is always a huge one because especially if you have children, the the other pa- the narcissist is going to be in your life forever. And so, you know. Not forever. It, well, <laughs> I was talking to someone yesterday that was married to a narcissist. And she's like, my kids are over 18 now. I never have to talk to him again. And she like, you know, slapped her hand. But there's still together. weddings and things. You know, they, they are going to be in your life, graduations, weddings. And so yeah. the boundary piece to me is just really, really important as part of the, the healing and then just part of making sure that the relationship doesn't hurt you um, in, you know, going forward. And what is really important in ending any relationship is that you you allow yourself to sit in the horrible feelings because that is the only way to process grief. There's a psychotherapy saying. How long do you have to do that for? That doesn't sound fun. uh, It's not fun at all. But that, otherwise, many people can't tolerate that feeling of loss and the horrible feelings. So they're quick to replace with the new relationship, which means that they don't fully process the ending of the old relationship, which makes them... uh, likely to get into the same kind of relationship again and repeat the same patterns of behavior. I absolutely love this show. You know, but the show's over now. Thank you so much. I know you guys oh, like no, I know, I don't know to say. We need another hour. I love this show because we help so many people in so many different ways. So ladies, I just want to thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Leanne, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on my website, which is www.leannetownsend.ca. I'm on Instagram at Leanne Townsend Life. Facebook. You certainly are. I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dawn, how can people find you? Uh, my website, www.donbinkowski.com, and I have two professional Facebook pages, Perspective at Don Binkowski and Port Credit Therapy Center. And for myself, well, finding the one these days can seem almost impossible, which is why you shouldn't have to do it by yourself. So you can check out my affordable matchmaking service at Single in the City, where we handpick people that will complement what makes you unique and help you find your perfect match. You can sign up today at singleinthecity.ca. So thank you, everybody, so much for joining us today. It was such a great show. Everybody, stay tuned for next week. Ciao for now.